Hello, and welcome to Conflict Theory. Today, we're getting behind the surmounting crime rates that is ravaging our country. Crime rates are an interesting topic here in America, and actually probably around the world. But there's this ongoing perception that they're always on the rise. Pew Research has consistently done uh, surveying of people, asking them, do you think the crime rate is higher or lower than the year before? A question they ask all the time. Always people say crime's going up, crime's increasing. We have this certain feeling of impending doom of things always getting worse and more dangerous. Now, when compared to actual crime statistics, this is not the case at all. They have consistently been dropping since about the 90s. But the perception of crime is different. And Foucault writes about this, and it's something that the media and the society, the culture will push to sort of justify its existence. You need emergencies, you need high crimes, you need people to feel unsafe to justify things like the justice system, like the police state, like new laws. All these things add up to the creation of sort of a propaganda machine, which gets us thinking about crime differently than what it is in reality. But this is where we get into this year. This year seems like, well, but this is the year that actually skyrocketed, right? Turns out, no again. Crime rates in almost every category has dropped during the pandemic. And this isn't even an American phenomenon. This is globally. Even murder rates have been dropping throughout the world uh, during the pandemic. Now, there are some exceptions. In the United States, it does seem like there may be a spike in murder this year. It's definitely true in many individual cities that the murder rate has spiked. And we also see large spikes in Latin America. But a UN study looking at 25, uh, 30 different countries found in general, the murder rate has decreased in most places. So it is an interesting question to ask like, why is the United States looking so different compared to European counterparts. But another thing to note here is about crime rates in general that I kind of want to talk about a little bit is that they're not real. Like crime isn't real. When we culminate all these numbers to look at crime rates, we got to realize here in the, even just here in the United States, like we def different places will define crimes very differently. Some, place, some things are crimes in some places that aren't crimes in other places. And like just determining what is a crime is a really difficult thing to do in some of these uh, surveys. For instance, over the same period of time from the 90s to about today, the FBI reported that there was a rape in America had doubled, which is very, very concerning. But then you look at the uh, Bureau of Justice statistics, and they, looking at the data, looking at different data, collecting it in a different way, said that it was cut in half. So it both didn't happen, but we see that throughout ways of determining and recording the amount of crime that 
goes on in society. The numbers always vary widely, and you can't ever really point to a cause of crime. Like, I've read several books, papers, and you hear it on the news all the time. If we do X, it'll lead to an increase slash decrease in crime. Marijuana is an example. If we legalize marijuana, crime will skyrocket. And other people say if we legalize it, crime will decrease. And you see that with other hot topics like abortion. Freakonomics has an entire chapter dedicated to how abortions affect on the crime rate. We see that with stop and frisk. Did it increase or decrease the crime rate? And it kind of gets down to if everything increases or decreases the crime rate, sort of nothing does. When everything matters, it's really hard to figure out where to put your resources in a society. So whenever you're asking questions like what caused this crime rate, this crime spike, or what can we do to decrease this crime spike, it largely kind of feels like there's nothing we can do. And even in the cases that we look at that seem like something is very, very successful, you got to realize a lot of the time that's just a regression back towards the mean. If crime skyrockets one year and you respond with anything at all, doesn't even matter what it is, even pretend to respond, like statistically, you're more likely to get a lower crime rate the next year. That's the regression towards the mean. If you get a spike, you're probably not going to get two spikes in a row statistically. So even if you, so any action you take might look like it's beneficial. And crime statistics are just all wrapped up in all sorts of issues like that. Mixing up correlation with causation, uh, not representing the right numbers, changing the definitions, but keeping those numbers in a side-by-side -side comparison as if the definitions were the same. We see that happened with, that's what happened with sexual assault crimes largely. So I'm very excited uh, to hear my, our guest Andrea speak about this topic and our usual Alan chime in on this topic. Let's go to the soapboxes and we'll start with Alan. Well, thanks, Paul. Uh, uh, how, how many sessions are we into this podcast? And that's the first meaningful reference to Foucault we've had the whole time. So I'm surprised that we went that long. Um, yeah, so so yeah, I, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Crime is something that has, in fact, been declining for a couple of decades now. But but the perception is always that, that it's getting worse and worse. I think there's several things that contribute to that. Um, first and foremost is the 24-hour news cycle, right? You've got uh, uh, national and international news that comes to you easily, and you've got channels that are d dedicated, you know, to 24 hours or a significant portion of their time to reporting news. And so some sort of unusual or particularly gruesome or particularly noteworthy crime happens in uh, Honduras or in some small town in Indiana or in uh, Ghana or something. And, you know, the news picks it up because they got to find something to fill their time. And even though it doesn't affect you, where you live and, and is happening at, at rates equal to or smaller than it used to happen, your chance of being exposed to it and finding out about it and learning about it are a whole lot higher than they than they used to be. Uh, thanks to this, you know, 24 hour news cycle and, and, and the internet, right? Also where you've got news sources that are, that are constantly trying to put new material out there. So you'll click on their feeds and see those ads and, um, you know, for the, the same ra rationale as the, as the, as the television news cycles, you see it all the time 
on your phone and on your computer. I do think there's been an increase in sort of, you know, big major events, right? I mean, school shootings used to not be a thing, right? And now they've been, you know, uh, an, a, a unfortunately regular thing. Um, and, you know, things like the Black Lives Matter protests and the, uh, the, uh, the uh, crashing of the Capitol, the storming of the Capitol with that sedition back uh, uh, a month ago. And, you know, those are sort of big events that, that you know, may, maybe in, it might be that the big events might be happening a little more frequently, but, but they certainly don't make up for the decrease in all the small things that have, uh, that have declined over time, despite the perception being um, higher. Um, it's, it's interesting your, your comment about the uh, definition of crime being different in different places. I don't know that that's really true in the aggregate. I mean, yes, there are some, there are some things around the edges. Uh, I agree that the, the changes in the, the, uh, the sexual assault reporting rates were mostly due to changes in the way they were defined and those kinds of definitions will, you know, will be updated and changed over time as people realize they're deficient or not, not including things. But, you know, for the most part, you know, people define worldwide, people define murder as murder, they define rape as rape, they define, you know, theft as theft. Um, yes, there can be some, you know, differences in intellectual property theft or some of those kinds of things. But, but you know, for the most part, I think, you know, 90%, 95% of crime rates around the world are, are comparable and you can make valid comparisons. And it's interesting that the U.S. seems to rate so highly in, in, in violent crime, right? So we're a, we're a top 15 or 20 country in the world in terms of violent crime, um, you know, right up there with the countries that are uh, in the major drug routes, right? The Hondurases and El Salvadors and, and Guatemalas of the world and, and some, um, you know, South Africa and some of the African countries that, that also have uh, drug problems. So uh, they, I don't know why that is. You compare us to Europe and our violent crime rates are, you know, typically a whole lot higher. That's not true for, you know, the, the petty crimes and the property crimes and things where their rates are, are comparable. But, but um, I, I, I wish I understood why our violent crime rate was was uh, what was higher than than many, many developed countries around the world, but um, but but those have been declining and and you know um, getting better over time. Of course, we all wish that they would go away overnight, but that just hasn't happened. And Andrea, hello, thanks for having me. Um, so crime is up. You know, you Google this and that's the headline, but it's not. It's murder is up in 2020 and bad. No one's arguing that, you know, we don't want murder to go up. But what's so interesting to me is there's almost this kind of pop culture attitude that you're seeing with statistics in the past five-ish years. It's really gone up where, and I think it's a partially um, propagated by things like Twitter, where people wanna take these little snapshots and feed them to people. And Alan's totally right. The news cycle, if it leads, it leads, or it leads, it leads, I got that reversed. But my point being, we have all of these little snippets, digestive bits of numbers that people are just throwing at you. I was reading this news story from Vox and I'm, I'm singling them out a little, but they're not the only one that do it. It was just such a telling statistics page. It was a single paragraph and it was six lines. And in it, they quoted three disparate sources. And um, in a six line paragraph, they provided homicide rate data from three sources with three different timelines. 
and three different sample sizes. And it's the way that you were saying how crime almost isn't real. It's because no one can agree on definitions and no one can look at the same timeline and no one just can seem to get on the same page. And when you're talking about this topic, it's immensely frustrating. And the other piece of it, this is like the thing that drives me insane about it as someone who has a background in social science and I work in database management, people keep comparing things that shouldn't be compared. If you look in newspapers, they'll say, oh, crime rate data, you know, year to date, January versus January. You shouldn't do that. It means nothing. And so I think we're just trying to talk about crime and trying to figure out real solutions. And we're all looking at bank junk data. And it just is shocking to me that, okay, so for example, murder, that's the thing that's most significantly up in the United States. It should, in theory, be the piece of data, crime-wise, that's the easiest to report. It's not really that complicated. Is someone dead or not? You know, it's not like we're changing the definition like the FBI did with rape. And it's not like we're saying, well, you know, the Wyoming definition of this crime is different than the California one. Is someone dead? And we don't even have completely congruent data on that. Different places say different amounts of people died. And so to me, I think it's a bigger issue of, it's not just a 2020 blip, it's the data information architecture that this country has probably everywhere, but especially for crime. All right. So thank you, Andrea. We're going to be heading into a break now. Uh, I'd like to thank Mr. Atomic for contributing the music to this episode. Uh, you can find links to more of their music in the description. Welcome back to Conflict Theory. Before the break, we gave our takes on crime rates in general. We kept it pretty open. We just called, we just spoke about crime rates. I didn't know if folks wanted to specifically talk about COVID's effect on crime rates or the crime rates of 2020 specifically, or if we wanted to just get into the science and philosophy of crime rates generally, but it seems like we got a good mix of both of those things. So I think the first place we'll have to uh, start chatting is probably with some points Alan brings up because he's the most trusting of crime statistics. So we, really? we need to flesh some of those out a little bit. So Alan, you bring up in your case, in, in your soapbox that crime rates generally are the same from place to place. Crime, crime definitions are generally. Crime yeah. definitions. For, for the most part, yeah. And I don't know, I just, I look at that and that, and obviously I think Andre will disagree, but like the place where my mind goes to first is like marijuana, where in some places that's the m highest crime. Like that's the thing you're most likely to be arrested for in the United States. And in other places, it's not a crime at all. And then we see like, even with murder, say edge cases, but we can look at George Floyd and we can see, I would call that a murder. If, some, if, uh, the, if somebody called and was surveying, like, has anyone in your family been murdered? Like that's a yes. They would answer yes. 
Yes, I, I would. I would if I were in their shoes. Absolutely. I, I would even not be in their shoes. But it's it's not going to be reported by the FBI that way. But it yes, could. It yes, it is. Absolutely. It, it might be. No, I mean, it, it has been, right? I mean, murder has been has been charged. <laughs> Even if they are found innocent or murder still occurred, they, they just aren't, aren't guilty of it. I'm not sure if that's how it works, but maybe you're right. But we, we still see these large changes in perception. So a little bit more like, what do you think is so consistent uh, within, crime, within crime definitions? Well, so I, I agree that there are some things that are that are legal and some things that are illegal. To to your to your marijuana point, right? I mean, here in Colorado, marijuana is legal. You drive 90 miles north to Wyoming, and uh, not so much, right? So um, that's certainly uh, an issue. But you know, like like Andrea said, a dead person is a dead person is a dead person, and it's not terribly hard to define murder from that perspective. Not terribly hard to define theft. Not terribly hard hard to the, d- define you know uh, most of these things. To a great extent, our crime, our crime de- definitions and the things we consider crimes are based on, you know, Hammurabi's Code and the Ten Commandments and things like that that go back, you know, fairly globally, long, long, long time. You know, obviously, we've, we've done a lot of modifications on those. Not everything that's in the Ten Commandments is illegal today. But, um, uh, but you know, there, there are certainly um, uh, com- commonalities around the globe that I think for most of the crimes that you talk about is, as uh, a major part of the, uh, of the world crime discussion people define them pretty much the same yeah, little differences around the edges is it first degree murder is it manslaughter that kind of stuff but you know um it, it's murder i like your hanarabi name drop it's been a while since i've heard one of those um <laughs> i think that these edge cases you're talking about paul aren't really much of an issue for aggregate data because it's been aggregated into it the whole time, you know, is it a murder? The Bureau of Justice Statistics, all of that is compiled by asking people, were you robbed? Yeah, I might say yes, the official definition might be no, but every year those cases get baked into it. I think it's really more of an issue for things like imprisonment statistics. Why is Texas so much higher than its neighbor? That's I think more where we get into, oh, because all this new junk is illegal that wasn't over there, which is a totally valid point, but is it really the same as crime? I'm not sure, as far as apples to apples comparison. So you were specifically talking about people coming up with different numbers on murder. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I didn't see this article that you're talking about. Like, why did their murder rates change? Why were they so drastically different? Do you know? Yeah. um, So it was one specific article and I saw actually a lot of these. And it's because they're not using the same base data. So the Council for Criminal Justice found that homicides um, increased. Let me here. I got it right here. Um, homicides race increased 42% during the summer. Um, so, you know, summer, it's a three month period already way too small. You shouldn't be doing that. But, um, then, you know, the second group they quoted was a crime analyst who found that murder was up 36% throughout the year so far in 51 U S cities. So one of them's looking at 21 U.S. cities, 
One of them's looking at 51 U.S. cities. They're looking at completely different time periods. You know, one of them's twice as large as the other. And then in the same paragraph, they're saying, and a preliminary FBI report found murder up 15% nationwide in the first half of 2020. So we just have to agree on what a definition is. And I cannot emphasize this enough. We need to stop doing binary data comparison to predict crime. You know, two data points is not a trend. And I feel like every time we read about crime in popular news, it's just, oh, it's up, it's down, it's left, it's right. It's like, no, it's not a trend. And so that's kind of what I was referencing. Okay. So we, we have a, we're in a murder spike right now, it appears. I think we, we're in agreement on that. Is that right? Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, we're uh, likely last... in a spike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, murder's up. How much is it up? You know, is it sustainable or a one year thing due to COVID? Is it because of all the protests? You know, we don't know why yet, but I think it's safe to say that the data collection is consistent and good enough that we can safely say it is up. And I like your point, like a lot to say that, yes, it is up right now, but that's not a trend. It's good. It's a data point. So that's a, that's a really good point to bring up. But we do see internationally that the U.S. is always high compared to our European counterparts and our probably Canadian counterparts. I didn't look at Canada's murder rate, but I bet we're worse. That, yeah, no, we it's because we are exceptional in all things. Both the good and the bad. Yes, yes, I agree. There are, there are certainly some bad bad ways that we are exceptional as a country. And um, yeah, we need to fix that. <laughs> we, we, we can keep American exceptionalism in, uh, in all the good ways, but uh, yeah, there's some ways we don't want to be exceptional. Yeah. Manifest destiny. So is this a Second Amendment issue? Is it because we have so many guns? Could be. Um, gun sales were up really a lot in 2020. Part of that was probably due to fear. Obviously, that's pure hearsay, but I don't think that's a crazy guess. And the Gun Violence Archive, which is sort of one of the most trusted sources for gun violence data reporting, um, they say gun violence deaths jumped 25% in 2020 over 2019. And again, I don't like doing one-to-one -one comparison with data, but if you're going to do it, like look at a whole year, that is a significant jump. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's kind of okay in this case because we think we have a special cause for it, right? So COVID came along, everybody was forced to stay in their apartments with each other for much longer than they were used to, got sick of each other, you know, viol violence occurred, right? So just... To, I mean, to your point that, that that one year does not a trend to make, right? But in this case, we're 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 trying to attribute it to a special cause of everyone being locked up with COVID, and that's you know that's it's perfectly fine statistically to to do that in, the, in, the, in this particular case. But Paul, back to your your question of is it guns or not? You know the whole uh, uh, you know guns don't kill people, people kill kill people. I I agree with that sentiment, but 
it's easier to uh, for people to kill people when they have uh, a gun readily available than if they you know only have their fists or they uh, only have a knife right so some of that you know you get fed up with your spouse or you get fed up with your neighbor and you um, lose your you lose your temper and you you know lose control and you go reach for that gun well that same losing control happens in in, in other countries but guns aren't as readily available there and so it's uh, less likely that a homicide occurs so it's um it's so I'm, i mean i'm a big guns rights advocate i i own a gun myself and i uh um you know i don't want the second amendment to be overturned by any means but i i do think that the availability of guns is is one of the reasons why our murder rate is higher than than say europe i actually um read an interesting theory about why gun deaths might be up and i wasn't able to confirm it but it's an interesting thought experiment that maybe it's not that there's such increase in gun shootings, but that the hospitals are overwhelmed. And so people that could have been saved have like not been able to because of just capacity in hospitals, which I doubt it explains all of it, but I thought it was an interesting thought. Yeah, I think that's starting to tell like a fully cohesive story. Like what you were saying, it's, and it's not like just this year either. I feel like every year I'm hearing this is the highest gun sales in American history, highest gun sale weekend, highest gun sale week. Like it, we, we heard it under Obama. We heard it under Obama again. We heard it when Trump lost the house. We heard it when Biden won. We heard it at the beginning. Like we just do gun frenzies, but that, more guns in conjunction with a overwhelmed hospital system. And uh, another weird thing is America is really good at treating gun wounds. Like if you're going to get shot, this is probably the country where you want to get shot because our doctors are trained in that. They have more experience with gun injuries than doctors anywhere else in the world. Go America. But yeah, like bringing all these things together that does sort of tell a good story. Let's move on to a issue we all kind of agree on. And because we all agree on it, I guess the question is what should we do about it? So the question is, we're talking about sort of the media's influence uh, in our idea of what crime looks like. So, and it's not just like the media anymore. I mean, it is still the media, but it's the news, but it's criminal minds. It's true crime television. They got entire channels dedicated to this kind of media now. Just there was a murderer kind of entertainment. True story. And I guess the first question is, is this bad? that people are always afraid of the impending rising crime? Does this cause harm in society? Um, well, I think it's got both some good points and some bad points, right? The good, good, good point is that, you know, I think people are a little more careful, right? And maybe uh, uh, are a little more uh, aware of, of what's going on around them and, and maybe do a little more to try to uh, avoid becoming a victim of crime because we've got some, some, some fear of crime. Um, and so that's that's a good thing, certainly. But on the other hand, you know, some people do live in fear of crime, right, and uh, limit their activities maybe uh, more than would be um, 
rationally justified based on you know on their actual circumstances and you know then it's 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 not so so great to say the least but um uh you know it definitely pays to have some concern i was in uh I was in South Africa on a business trip in Johannesburg, which is a very high crime city. And I uh, was there over the weekend and I went to Jobert Park, which is a big park downtown, not, not far off of to to downtown, downtown, downtown South Africa, downtown Johannesburg, I should say, and wandered through. And it was actually a Sunday afternoon and there were just a ton of people out there, all, all black. I think I was probably the only white guy or one of only a handful of white guys there's probably 5,000 people in this park it's a, a big park and it's a big hangout place on a Sunday afternoon and so and I've never felt any concern at all but I was telling people in the office on on Monday that I'd done this and they're, uh, probably wasn't a good place for you to be right um, apparently you know lots of people get mugged or whatever now I can find it really hard to believe that people get mugged in Bear Park on a Sunday afternoon when you got uh, tons of families in their in their you know their Sunday best church clothes <laughs> hanging out in the park right so they don't go to Jobert Park my, my, my co-workers in South Africa uh, don't go to Jobert Park you know because of fear of crime but I had a nice little visit it was perfectly fine so was I being stupid by being there was I was I taking an undue risk you know being you know a, a white touristy looking you know guy probably got money on him you know wandering through the park or are they limiting their you know their enjoyment in life by not going to Jobert Park because of their fear of crime well you know it's hard to say I, I didn't get mugged I didn't get pickpocketed uh got pickpocketed in, in in Barcelona but but not in but not in Joburg so um you know it's it's it's, it's tough to say who's who's actually right in there and to some extent you kind of have to operationally define it I got through okay and so I made the right decision right but um but may, you know maybe I was taking undue risk so People can't accurately assess their own safety, like what's the actual probability that this could happen to them. And I do think it's a byproduct of all of these crime shows, all of the reporting on the news. Um, there was something interesting I read, and I think it was on 538, and it was saying how when people are asked, what do you think the chances are you will, could be, robbed in the next year, they'll say 15%. It's actually closer to one and a half percent. But you ask people other bad things that could happen to them, like what do you think the chances are you could lose your job this year? They are much, much more accurate. And so it almost feels like a type of cognitive bias based on over-information. So I am against it. I just have no idea how you fix it without impending on some other huge thing like, you know, the First Amendment. And, you know, is it an evil that's worth that? I doubt it. So I think the solution is probably in a lot more training for things like reporters and understanding statistics and how to report those out. Um, I suspect NCIS isn't going to do anything to stop. That's been around for decades. I don't think my complaint's going to stop them. Yeah, like Alan's story just told us he went to Johannesburg and nothing happened. Like that's not going to make headlines. Like how do you... <laughs> white white guy successfully makes us through Jobert Park? Yeah, yeah. Nobody, uh, no, nobody reported that, nor nor should they probably. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say if they report that, that's like problematic in its own way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like my, 
issue with this perception and the harm that I think it's caused or is causing, like all summer long, we heard people crying like defund the police in a year where crime rates fell 30%. Like at some point, if we do maintain like a more peaceful society, we should eventually need fewer cops. We should eventually need fewer laws on the books. And it seems like it will only ever go one direction, more laws, more cops, as long as people have this perception, which means other rights are gonna be taken away, not just the first amendment one that you're afraid of, Andrea. And along those lines, there's an excellent article in the Denver Post this weekend about uh, the whole defund the police thing. And they've actually, uh, substituted uh, mental health professionals on uh, a fairly decent number of, of police calls. So if the police call uh, is not likely to involve any violence or any weapons, and it appears to be um, uh, you know a mental health issue or drug drug addiction issue or you know something along those lines, they're actually dispatching mental health professionals now, and at least the people interviewed you know uh, involved in this program. Uh, had very complimentary things to say about the preliminary um, results, at least, you know, there, there's been, I mean, one person said they thought it probably saved lives because good chance the police would have shot some somebody. There's been so, so many of these, right? So gosh, what a great example, right? Now it's still early and to Andre's point, we don't have nearly enough data to uh, to be able to, uh, to to define a trend or have any definitive conclusions, but it's, it's sir, a, a positive sign that some of this defund the police might be a legitimate thing to do. Now, are, are you going to send a mental health professional to a mass shooting incident or, you know, somebody where you've got uh, hostages being held at gunpoint? Well, no, of course not. You know, you're sending the SWAT team for that fully armed. But um, yeah, uh, in some cases, gosh, maybe we can, um, you know, make some progress with some of the ideas that have come out of the defund the police movement. Speaking about how we don't have enough data to call it a trend yet, I want to bring up this really interesting point with um, crime statistics that I'm not sure we ever will have enough data to make a fully formed trend because this year, starting in January 1st of 2021, the FBI switched over its um, data reporting system. It used to do a what they call a summary reporting system and a national incident-based reporting system. And the national incident-based one has a lot more categories. It has a lot more detail. Um, you can report more than one at a time, whereas the SRS one used what they called a hierarchy rule. So the most big, you know, bad crime went to the top and that was sort of what it was headed under. So the point is there were two systems that existed side by side. And this year, as of January 1st, the FBI has gone entirely into the national incident-based reporting system, which they called NIBRIS. That's like the shorthand for it. And there's just a tremendous number of government agencies that aren't on it. And so this year, we're 2021, we're gonna lose a ton of crime data. And, you know, based on how statistics work and sample size and margin of error, they're gonna be able to recapture some of it. They're gonna be able to make educated guesses about what it was in the country. So I'm not saying like, and the apocalypse will happen, but 
we're about to lose a ton of information and data reported to the FBI, which is one of the most reliable sources of data. Yes, it's only crime reported to the cops, but it's been around since the 1930s. Like you want something stalwart that's worth its salt and been around for a while, FBI crime data is what it is. So I think that's a really big problem on the horizon. We're gonna have to keep in mind when we look at this data going forward and not a great time for it because it's coming right off of this pandemic. And uh, you raise a great point about, about being able to track trends over time, right? I mean, if it takes you know, roughly 30 data points to uh, be able to run a Z-test, for example, in your st statistics, right? That's about how many data points you need in order to have um, you know, great, great confidence in the, in the statistics you're doing. And if you have yearly data, well, that's 30 years and the chances of a definition of staying consistent over 30 years, you know, uh, or a data gathering technique staying consistent over 30 years is kind of small. So to some extent, all of this data is, is suspect and um, it's questionable on the face of it. But, you know, I mean, clearly there are, there are, you know, strong statistics and there are weaker statistics that are still certainly usable. And so you get the six and eight and 10 year trends that are still, you know, worth, worth talking about. All right, so we have, I only have one more question. You both are definitely, if you have one, please introduce it at the end. But Andrea, you brought up like the good point of like what the every man needs, like not to freak out about short-term statistics and reporting and like a little bit of statistical literacy, but more so for like lawmakers in the ivory tower, based on sort of this short-term murder spike we're seeing and short-term otherwise decrease in crime that we're seeing, what we're gonna be seeing next year likely, I call me a, a soothsayer, we're going to see a large increase in crime because this large decrease we just had, it's probably going to revert back to the mean. So how are we going to address that? Uh, how should, I, I'd say folks sort of like us, like in the media, how should we be talking about what we're likely to see coming forward and policy proposals that'll come after that. Well, in my perfect dream world where I'm omniscient and like, you know, I control everything, um, we would never see a two-year data point line ever again. You'd never see this line that draws like 2020 to 2021 and they'll say, look at that, look at how much it went up because you know, what they don't show you is the year before was the year it plunged. So really, it's just a return to the normal. I think the most helpful and ethical thing we can probably do is just show the trend. Yes, I don't think it's crazy to think crime's going to go up. You know, we all get back to normal. There's a certain level of crime that's normal in this country, which we could talk about. But I think it's more about giving people the full picture, because if the full picture is, you know, these many robberies happen in the country, that's bad. We should address that. Public pressure is the reason policymakers make changes over that kind of thing. You know, they're not usually the ones getting robbed. Crime affects different segments of the population disproportionately. 
So I'm not saying we should just be like, all right, everyone, calm down. You're statistically unlikely to get robbed. I'm just saying we should look at it in the full picture. And then when we try and make solutions to crime, I think it makes a lot of sense to do what we do with medicine. You know, you have a control group. There's different communities that have similar properties. You implement the change in one and not the other. And there's this immediate kind of visceral reaction of, oh, that's not fair. You know, why should these people get the solution? But you don't know the solution's gonna work. And the only way to know and to figure out if it's a good use of your limited resources and to really help people is to apply a kind of blind trial where, you know, we apply it here, we don't apply it there. And I think that's probably the best thing we could do going forward. And America's actually really good at that. We're just not necessarily good at tracking the results, right? I mean, that's the advantage of having a de de decentralized, you know, non-federal um, system to a great extent, including all the local and state police departments, right? And so, you know, New York with, you know, Giuliani, they had their, you know, their their no broken windows policy for a while, or was it Giuliani? Or, anyway, one of the... Um, the New York mayors had the no broken windows philosophy where they were going to try to enforce every little thing, right? And see if they could get the major crimes to drop because, you know, there was better, better. Um, uh, first of all, pride in the neighborhood that things were being kept up better. And so second of all, um, you know, better adherence to crime overall. But, you know, then, you know, there might be 15 cities around the, the, the country that, that implement that or try that, but we don't necessarily have a good mechanism for saying, oh, yeah, it, it worked in, you know, 10 of the 15 or it didn't, right? <laughs> so um, various cities and states have tried pretty much everything out there. And what we don't have very good um, me mechanisms for is to say, well, these are the 23 cities that tried this and here were the results across the 23 cities, right? So um, we need to do a better job of tracking that kind of stuff. All right, I just have one more thing to say, but the last word will go to you, Andrea. So figure out a, a good way to, to end it. And I, I kind of said this already, but I really want to reiterate this point that throughout this whole pandemic, we've been hit and barraged with this idea of the rising crime rate while it was actually decreasing. Some media outlets have improved and started specifying that it is the murder rate. But, and this was used to stop progress on police reform, to stop progress on criminal justice reform. And even after this murder spike is over, which we assume it will end, we're going to see other crime rates go back to normal. And those other crime rates are going to be used rhetorically for the same things they're being used for, uh, the murder rate is being used for now. It's kind of funny. The media doesn't report crime at an all-time low. They're going to report the murder rate going up, and when that's over, they're going to report the other crime rates going up, making progress that this country needs to make very difficult. And that's just the last note I wanted to point out. Uh, but Andrea, our guest always gets the last word. Ooh, exciting. Um... Okay, well, I feel like I've beat the drum to death about how we need to analyze trend lines, but sometimes you have to do comparisons. Okay, fine, I acquiesce that point, but then my I implore everyone here who ever cuts up data and policymakers and please let's stop doing it arbitrarily. Let's stop doing 
month to month analysis comparison. You know, if I tell you that car theft is up 10% March over February, what I didn't tell you is that the month of March is 11% longer than February. If I tell you that aggravated assault is up, you know, 20% this summer over the spring, what I didn't tell you is that aggravated assault is like fishing and picnics. It's best done in the summer. Like these trends happen. And so cutting it up in things like, you know, uh, four week increments to account for crimes that happen over the weekend or even better, full on years. And I think that would be something we could do to just better understand the reality out there. All right, this has been an episode of Conflict Theory. And remember, you're very special and I love you very much.